Friends podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy. Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. I'm going to begin today with a little bit of a confession. Many of my struggles with depression and anxiety trace back to an unpleasant but real fact. I've dealt with a lot of critics over the course of my life. While I don't believe I have at any time done or said things intentionally to invite their judgment or criticism, I seem to have been a magnet for it over the years, and I've sustained many a wound because of it. In recent months, following yet another incident where somebody's opinion was thrown in my face, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately on how criticism and our ability to handle it, or lack thereof, plays a major role in our mental wellness. We're each going to have at least a few people along the way who refuse to see us for who we really are, or who will go out of their way to tell us why their way is the better way, and our way leads to nothing but failure, who would rather tear others down than build them up, who prefer to be right rather than to love well. We can't escape these encounters, nor can we deny the hurt they cause. But in order to gain a healthy sense of confidence and an ability to thrive in life, we have to know what to do with the naysayers when they come along. We have to learn how to respond, how to process their opinions so we can keep moving forward without letting such criticism derail, distract, or discourage us from pursuing our God-given purpose. Today we're going to talk about editing our critics, learning what is helpful and constructive information and what is mere personal opinion and how we can harness the judgmental comments of others and use it to productively fuel our passion and purpose in this life. We've got some great stuff to cover, so let's get started. People like me who are old enough to remember the days when newspapers were still a thing can recall a section of the paper called Opinion, and in that section would be various columns called op-eds, opinion editorials, that discuss different topics. They could be about politics, economics, social issues, moral issues, education, or any manner of things. But the one thing you always knew was that this was simply a personal take on that particular topic. The writer was simply putting their own perspective out there and letting the reader decide what to make of it. And back then, because people read these op-eds on their own time in their own space, the responses to the column didn't really matter. You could write into the newspaper and comment, but you just took the information for what it was and then formed your own view. Now, in the age of online news and social media, everybody's opinion is everyone else's business, and there is no longer the separation there used to be. This means that it's harder now than ever to think for yourself and carve your own path because everyone's thoughts and everyone's journey is so much more public. It's easier than ever to type back a comment online about that news article or that tweet or post. No longer can one just leave a viewpoint out there and let others decide their own take. No, instead everyone feels obligated to immediately tell you why such a viewpoint is misguided, wrong, and self-absorbed. And the thing I've started to realize is, 
It doesn't just happen online. It happens everywhere. In this modern age where online interaction has shaped so much of our communication and thinking skills, the quickness to jump to conclusions, rattle off our personal opinion, or attack another's point of view has seeped over into much of our daily life. You know what I'm talking about. It happens everywhere and anywhere, even the places where you'd assume there'd be more grace. Relatives pressure at the dinner table over your choice of career. Church members' judgment over the fact you and your spouse have chosen to have a larger family. Employers' criticism over the way in which you're getting assignments done and the fact you aren't willing to turn into a workaholic. Friends discussed over your differing political views, opinions about how you dress, school choice, where you've decided to move to and put down roots. The list goes on and on and on. We've all been there, and we've all tasted the feeling when it happens. You walk away feeling humiliated, confused, rejected, and hurt, and suddenly find yourself feeling guilty about something that minutes before wasn't even a problem for you. You wonder for a bit if they're actually right and you really have gotten it wrong all this time. And you find yourself wrestling with that intuition that says, you know you're doing the right thing, and the power of another's opinion that screams, you'll never be accepted if you don't do it their way. When these times hit, I like to call them POEs, personal op-eds, because that's really what they are. No, the individual didn't sit down and write to the paper or publish it online, but they still mapped out their points in their head, picked a target, you, and took out their criticism on somebody else. But unlike you sitting there with a cup of coffee and reading the article and then deciding what you're going to do with that information, you're suddenly thrust into the pressure of a reaction in the moment while fending off multiple emotions, feelings, thoughts, and perhaps past history. And this can be so very hard. To be honest, I usually don't come up with a perfect response until much later, once I've had time to think over what was said or done. And by then, sometimes it's too late to do anything about it. You've probably been there too. But some time ago, I came across an interesting formula for sorting out these powerful opinions, and I found it courtesy of a former Olympic athlete. Scott Hamilton knows all too well what it's like to be under the microscopic criticism of others. After all, he was a professional figure skater for many years, and the sport is well known for being one of the most subjective in all of athletics. Back before he ever won Olympic gold, Scott had heard over and over again for years how he was too short to be competitive on the international level. While he readily admits he was more petite than the average skater, he was still committed to his sport, worked hard, and had solid talent. As he points out, isn't it interesting how people we don't even know feel like they get to decide what we're capable of accomplishing? Isn't it even more interesting how often we believe them? A while ago, I took the time to read Scott's insightful book, Finish First, in which he discusses his personal journey to success both on the ice and in life. And partway through, he devotes an entire chapter to exactly what we've been discussing today, how to handle critics. And he came up with a fascinating strategy that really helped him personally deal with the negative feedback of others during his own career and has also served him well in the years that followed. He chose to edit his critics. He points out that even though you'll hear advice about ignoring your critics and not paying attention to the judgment of others, it's actually physically impossible not to. Brain research shows that negative comments stick with us more than positive ones, and because criticism often holds a shred of truth, that's partly why it bothers us so much. We know there's a chance our critic could be at least partly right. 
That's why Scott points out, it's our job to edit the story. We choose to edit the information they present to us. He observes, this is a winner's attitude. Only I get to decide how criticism is going to affect my attitude. In some cases, he notes, the criticism could be warranted and it's up to us to make the necessary changes and let that information help us. Always assuming feedback will be negative and attacking to us personally isn't the healthiest approach because there will be times when we need that constructive kick in the pants to adjust how we're doing things, and that comment may not be pleasant but is still needful. If you're always running late to commitments you've made and somebody you know points it out to you, you need to be able to say, you know what, you're right, I need to get better about being on time, thank you. If you're able to notice where that information might help you improve, then you're harnessing its power for a productive purpose in your life, and you need to keep your eyes open for when that happens. The tough part comes in learning how to discern when it's helpful criticism and when it's damaging, and sometimes that can be a fine line between the two. That's why Scott developed a few principles that can be really helpful in learning how to tell the difference between helpful and unhelpful comments. First, he says, you need to consider the source. Not all sources are created equally, he says. Is this the kind of person who tells the truth? Someone who wants other people to succeed? Someone who is fair? Someone who is knowledgeable about your field? If not, the source is not legitimate and the criticism is tainted. Unless you want the character of the person criticizing you, don't pay too much attention to it. Secondly, you have to consider your critic's motive. Of course, you can't always know this, Scott points out, but if we think about possible motives, it may help us to dismiss criticism that is not only unhelpful, but that may also derail us. Is the motive to distract you, control you, exert authority, keep you down, prevent you from passing him or her, simply to be mean? If any of these motives seem true about this person, what good could come from paying attention to his or her criticism? He continues, once you start paying attention to who is criticizing you, you find a good deal of your criticism to be inconsequential, unimportant, simply a distraction from what you're trying to do. Another thing to realize about a critic, Scott notes, is that for every bit of attention you give a critic, you can't give that exact amount of attention to your work, and your critics know this. So many critics keep doing what they're doing because it's working, Scott says. It doesn't help them win, but it keeps you from winning, which is enough for them. He goes on to talk about how having the integrity to stand in the face of criticism and not be swayed is essential to a winning life. The type of character it takes to be a champion means you listen to the words of God more than the words of others. You channel your energy into being the best you you can be and not allowing yourself to be sidetracked by the opinions of someone else. And in doing so, you not only achieve your God-given purpose, but you also provide inspiration to others who are observing your life. Scott also mentions that it's important to sort out what is personal opinion versus information. He notes that so much of the information we receive nowadays about anything is biased. So in order to have any usable and constructive data from your critics, you either need better sources or have to be extremely good at sorting through the bias to get to the information that is actually helpful. What distinguishes information from opinion, Scott says, is that there is no judgment to it. You ran that mile 30 seconds slower than your average. That's information. You are too short to win. That's opinion. One can be used to improve. The other is going to alter your state of being. It's going to affect your mood, stay in your memory, and prevent you from performing well next time. 
He continues by explaining that as soon as you start to edit down the criticism and get to just the information, that's when you can begin to use it to your advantage. And the better we each get at this, the more likely we are to become the type of person we've always known ourselves to be, someone capable of overcoming incredible challenges in order to get what we most want. Now, it's worth pointing out here that not all harmful criticism comes from the mouths and minds of others. Sometimes we can be our own worst critics and preach destructive truths to ourselves about ourselves as well as about others. We often forget that we have the God-given ability to decide what kind of individual we want to become, and the voice inside our own heads has a lot to do with that. Scott has a few words about this also. If you want to be the kind of person who paves the way for others, who overcomes impossible challenges, who sets the bar higher and higher, who wakes others up to the potential lying dormant in them, who unlocks and unleashes your own hidden and unimaginable potential, then nothing will stop you, not even your own doubts. Those who have the loudest inner critic also often become the most relentless critics of those around them. This is a hidden danger of giving in to your inner critic. Suddenly you become the one pointing out everyone else's faults, making it impossible or at least extra challenging for anyone to reach his or her potential. You have suddenly become the one asserting your supposed authority, trying to keep people down, distracting them from the work they're doing to reach new heights. Here's something to remember. Winners are rarely big critics. It's not that they're not discerning, it's just that they're not wasting time looking around at everyone else trying to correct their mistakes. They're too focused for that. They're too busy. They're too interested in pointing people toward what is possible rather than dragging them down with useless criticism. If you allow yourself to be overly critical of others, you will drag yourself down. There's no way to be a big critic and also be a champion. So what's the solution? How do we make certain that we are not revolving our lives around personal op-eds, either those of others or those we've told ourselves? Scott says, and I agree with him, that you have to write your own story. That's what he did. One critic told him that he could not hold the title of national champion four years in a row. Scott chose to write his own story, and from October 1980 to March 1984, he didn't lose a single competition. As for those who held the opinion he was too short to compete, he didn't pay much attention to them either and went on to win Olympic gold in 1984. Scott edited his critics and chose to decide his own narrative. He says, I've learned over time to let criticism come and let it go, to let the pendulum swing as it will. Things will be great for a while, then they will not be so great then they will be great again. But if I live my life constantly trying to control the criticism that comes in or out, I'll make myself miserable. This doesn't have to be dramatic. It can just be about tuning my ears and being picky about what information I choose to let linger. As is proven true for Scott, so it can be true for us. If we're trying to reach our full God-given potential in anything, we can't let ourselves get pulled off course by others' criticism. People will say and do what they choose, but only we can determine whether or not we let their opinion define us and determine where we end up. Of course, it's of utmost importance to remember that God has given us His Word and the Holy Spirit to guide us toward the things that we are supposed to live out and do in this world. And there will be many times in that walk of faith where our decisions, beliefs, and actions won't be understood by others. Our society has gotten so programmed to think that what's good for you is good for everybody else that we've lost our ability to accept the uniqueness of each other's journeys. 
and thus there will be many along the way who will tell you that you're headed in the wrong direction, or at the very least an unproductive one. But if you know deep down that what you're doing is the will of God for your life, then you have no reason to be ashamed, embarrassed, or discouraged. The criticism of others may be momentarily humiliating or hurtful, but it doesn't have to destroy your resolve or redirect your course. Most people will have no idea the amount of time, energy, and perseverance you put in every day to be the best you possible. Just like judges can sit and critique a competition such as Scott's and make subjective comments, the truth is that none of them were with him day in and day out on the ice training, working, refining. It was easy to make a statement and then leave because it wasn't personal to them. But you know, and those closest to you know, and God knows just how much effort you're putting into growing and maturing and becoming all you're supposed to be. And when others present you with their POEs and try to tell you all the reasons why you're not doing such and such correctly according to them, it's important to return to what and who can help refocus and recenter you, help you remember what you're about and why you're doing what you're doing. This is why along these lines Henry Nowen once wrote, it is not going to be easy to listen to God's call. Your insecurity, your self-doubt, and your great need for affirmation will make you lose trust in your inner voice and run away from yourself. But you know that God speaks to you through your inner voice and that you will find joy and peace only if you follow it. You have friends who know that your inner voice speaks truth and who can affirm what it says. They offer you the safe space where you can let that voice become louder and clearer. There will be people who tell you that you are wasting your time and talents, that you are fleeing from true responsibility, that you fail to use the influence you have, but don't let yourself be misled. They do not speak in God's name. Trust the few who know your inner journey and want you to be faithful to it. They will help you stay faithful to God's call. And that's really what it all comes down to, being faithful to the direction God has set for your life and being so in tune with that that when others come along who have different ideas and wish to form you into their image and likeness, you are able to turn your face toward the only one you most want to imitate and commit yourself even more to becoming like him, to allowing him to make you and shape you and change you into the best you possible. Criticism is real and it is painful. It's frustrating and humiliating. It's often unnecessary and it's distracting. It will always be present until such a time as we enter heaven and are freed from the petty, selfish opinions that consume so much of life here on earth. But we can't waste precious moments in this life waiting and wishing for the judgmental comments and personal op-eds to go away, because they never fully will. And that means we have to adapt and learn to navigate life with them present, learn how to edit incoming perspectives and views, and grow so comfortable and confident in our purpose and our dreams that we don't let critical comments steal our joy or our peace of mind. One vital key to mental wellness and something I'm slowly learning to live by in my own life is figuring out how to handle criticism. Occasionally, it will be warranted, but more often than not, it will simply be distracting and will only hold you back from where you want to go if you pay too much attention to it. Don't let your inner critic or the criticism of others keep you from living fully and loving well. It's not worth it to spend your life, or pay attention to those who spend theirs, trying to always go around making sure being right is the most important thing. God's will for you is so much more than that. Perhaps today is the day to let go of some of those personal opinions that have been heaped unfairly upon you. To turn loose of the pain that's held you back and begin to step into a new day where you can rise above those comments and start winning in your life the way God wants you to. 
As Scott Hamilton says, if you're on a path, if you're on track to take your life to a place you never thought it could go before, you can't let criticism derail you. You just can't. It's not worth it. You just have to stay on your track. Nobody gets to decide your future except for you. So let's make some changes this week. Let's all work on becoming a little better at editing the criticism we receive. Let's start taking those personal op-eds with a grain of salt and evaluating if what we're being told is helpful information or merely opinion. And let's take back some of the power we've given over to these individuals and their stories for far too long and decide that we're going to write our own story. That by the grace of God, we will choose what kind of person we wish to become and how we're going to get there every single day. And that nothing, even the judgmental comments of others, will hold us back from a winning life. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at OpenToGrace2015, Instagram and Parlor at OpenToGraceAlaska, and on MeWe under my name, Katherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are. Thank you.